Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's Psalter reading is Psalm 98. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's second reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. This is Jesus speaking. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of the Lord. It was a warm September night in Little Rock, Arkansas the perfect night for a high school football game. The Pulaski Academy Bruins were playing the Arkansas Christian Mustangs. On their first possession, Pulaski marched down the field until they faced a fourth down and five yards to go at the Mustangs' 14-yard line. The safe decision at that moment would have been to bring out the field goal kicker and take the easy three points. But without hesitation, 
Pulaski's offense stayed on the field and went for it. The quarterback rolled right, found one of his wide receivers, and rifled a pass for a six-yard gain and a first down. A few plays later, after a bad snap and a penalty, Pulaski faced another fourth down, this time a disastrous fourth and 23. With those long odds, one would expect Pulaski to take the three points to kick the field goal. But again, without hesitation, they went for it. This time they weren't so lucky and they turned the ball over on downs. Over the course of that game, regardless of the odds or the field position, Pulaski never once punted or kicked on a fourth down. They went for it every single time. And nobody in the stands that night was all that surprised because it had been years since Pulaski had kicked the ball. It did not matter the scenario. Under the direction of Coach Kelly, Pulaski always went for it on fourth down every single time. Now, before you think that Coach Kelly is a little unstable or foolish, you should know he goes for it on fourth down because he's run the numbers, and the numbers don't lie. His team is better off playing as if they have nothing to lose. Mathematicians and game theory experts have reached the same conclusion in almost every situation, going for it on fourth down in a football game improves a team's chances of winning. It is not a risk, it's the right thing to do. The only reason more coaches don't play this way is because they're all afraid of losing their jobs. Don't believe me? For you football fans out there, any guesses on the name of the NFL coach who takes the most chances on fourth down? Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots and the NFL coach with the greatest job security. Now, despite the affirmation he has received from all the number crunchers out there, Coach Kelly thinks the mathematicians have failed to grasp the biggest advantage going for it on fourth down brings. The built-in emotion involved in football, he says, is unbelievable. And that's where the benefits of going for it really pay off. The joy of converting a fourth down inspires his team to play with even more passion, more focus. It changes the way they play the game, and their opponents know it. Pulaski has won multiple state titles under Coach Kelly's leadership. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. There is no greater act of faith, no greater display of devotion, no clearer way to reveal a deep and abiding love for God than to lay down your life for another person. This is the benchmark for love by which all other love is measured, which is why most of us Think of Jesus when we hear this commandment. We think of Jesus and his ultimate act of love, his death 
on a cross. Christ's willingness to get and stay on the cross is proof of God's amazing love for us and for all of creation, which is why this command to lay down our lives takes us right to Jesus. There is, of course, a problem with going so quickly to Jesus when we hear this command to lay down our lives. By making, about, making it all about him, we let ourselves off the hook. This commandment is for us, but it is also to us. God loves us unconditionally, without hesitation, in every situation, and we are called to love others in the exact same way. Now, to be clear, I am not saying we are commanded to become martyrs, to literally sacrifice our life for another, to prove our capacity to love. Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. While there may be times in our lives when we are given the opportunity to put our lives on the line for another person, like first responders and doctors and nurses and essential workers are right now for us, we are called to life not death. And yet, Jesus is pretty clear here. Love one another, he says, as I have loved you. And it's that phrase, as I have loved you, that stands out, which means we need to figure out what laying down our life looks like in our normal, everyday lives. Because it's this kind of sacrificial love to which all of us are called. And make no mistake, the price of this love is high. The Reverend Sam Proctor was a famous African-American preacher who served as the pastor of a very large church in Harlem who was once asked to preach at Duke Chapel to a room full of young adults. While he applauded their attendance in worship that day, Dr. Proctor also reminded the young people that they didn't know a lot about Jesus. They were too young, he said, to really understand Jesus, but at age 70, he did. Dr. Proctor lamented how the Bible didn't have many stories about young adults. There was really only one in the Gospels, the story of the young man who wanted to follow Jesus, but was told he had to give away everything first. In that story, we are told the young man left depressed. Dr. Proctor then went on to tell the story of his lifelong dream for a red convertible. Years ago, when he was about their age, he had managed to get the job, to get a job as a manager of a plant in Norfolk, Virginia, the very first African-American manager in the company's history. After getting hired, he had one goal, earn enough money to purchase that red convertible. He then went on in his sermon to describe that red convertible in excruciating detail. Of course, while we are busy making our plans, God has a way of intervening. While saving up his money, Dr. Proctor got the call from God to go to seminary. His boss begged him not to go. He told Proctor he had a responsibility to work his way up the ranks to help others who would follow after him. Dr. Proctor knew staying in his job was a safe choice, a smart choice, the choice that ensured the life he had longed for, but he went to seminary anyway, 
and experienced a very different kind of success, even working alongside Dr. King. But then after a long pause where he seemed to be lost in memory, Dr. Proctor leaned forward and told that room full of young people the truth. You know, he said, I never got that red convertible. God help you. God help you if you were ever met by Jesus. A life of faith, a life committed to walking in Jesus' ways is a journey where we are constantly and consistently encouraged to let go. To let go of the things we hold so tightly onto so our hands and our hearts are ready and open to love people, all people, as they are, for who they are, without any consideration of what they can do for us. And this kind of sacrificial, selfless love, it is risky. It may not put your body in harm's way, but your life, your life will never be the same. Laying down your life might mean something as simple as trying something new, a new practice, even though it goes against all your instincts, like going for it on fourth down. It also might mean laying aside our expertise or our insight to receive the wisdom and perspective of another. Laying down our life might mean letting go of our preferred understanding of what church looks like so we can be open to the needs and wants of other people. It might mean naming our privilege, whether it comes from our economic status, our race, our sexuality, our gender, so we can empower other people. Laying down our life might mean letting go of a position we've held for a really long time so someone else has the chance to shine. Or it might mean letting go of a grudge to better love another person or giving up something we love so we can love others more or naming and facing that addiction so we can get the help we need. If something we hold close, something we hold dear, even something good, gets in the way of us loving other people, then that something is the one thing we need to lay down, to put aside, to let go, so we can grow in our capacity to love one another as Christ loved us. Christ's ultimate expression of love may have been his death on the cross, but throughout his life, throughout his ministry, Jesus laid aside cultural, religious, and societal expectations in order to love people. Time after time, Jesus put his reputation, his credibility, his traditions, and even his authority on the line when he stood with the outsiders, loved the sinners, and touched the sick and the lame. In order to love, Jesus was willing to go for it, to play like he had nothing to lose, to let it all go every single time. There is one more interesting tidbit about the Pulaski Academy Bruins. The kids who play for Coach Kelly love every minute of it. In fact, Coach Kelly's players has so much fun during the game that after the game, the players from the opposing teams often tell the Pulaski players, gosh, I wish we played the way you did. I mean, imagine how much fun it would be to play to win instead of playing to lose. Imagine how much fun it would be to always go for it no matter the situation, imagine how much fun it would be to trust in the power of love every single time. 
Well, you can't. You, you have nothing to lose. Your salvation, our salvation has been secured. We have everything we need to risk it all for love. Remember what Jesus said. I have said these things to you so that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. A life of faith is meant to be a life of joy in service of love. Years ago, Fyodor Dostoevsky wrote down some words I have held close to my heart in my lifelong journey of learning to love, and it has been a process. Learning to to love is not easy, and it takes time. His words, I believe, illustrate the reason we are called to love, the reason that abiding in love is the best way to abide in God, which I believe is our heart's greatest longing. He writes, Try to love your neighbors actively and tirelessly. The more you succeed in loving, the more you will be convinced of the existence of God and the immortality of your soul. And if you reach complete selflessness in the love of your neighbor, then undoubtedly you will believe and no doubt will even be able to enter your soul. This has been tested. It is certain. Hallelujah. And amen.